Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. There's a lot of chatter at the 2018 Winter Olympics about a couple of firsts. The first out gay male American athletes to compete in a Winter Olympics. That was, of course, Adam Rippon and Gus Kenworthy. But before there was Adam and Gus, there was Eric Radford. Eric, in 2014, came out publicly at the very beginning of the height of his career. Uh, he would go on to win uh, world championships. He would go on at the 2018 Winter Olympics to win two medals, including a gold medal in the team event. One of the things that's fascinated me about his story is that he wasn't just in an individual sport, and he wasn't even just in a team sport. He was in a pairs sport, pairs figure skating, where his role was literally to be the man in in the quote-unquote relationship. Megan Dumel it was his skating partner. She was obviously the woman, and he's the man. And it's always been interesting to me to talk through the added pressures that that kind of professional relationship uh, brought to him as he was considering coming out as gay. I talk with him about that and also about his new career as a musician. He is a composer. He plays a piano, and he talks about not just what he wants to do with the piano, but going into uh, electronic music, which is pretty cool. Anyhow, here's my conversation with Olympic champion Eric Radford. I'm here with Olympic champion Eric Radford, world champion Eric Radford. Eric, if you weren't stuck in your home right now, where would you be? <laughs> I would be on a ferry from Vancouver Island, heading from Victoria to Vancouver. Uh, I would have had just finished a show in, with Stars on Ice in Victoria yesterday, and I would have had our last Canadian uh, stop on the tour, which would have been tomorrow in Vancouver. And uh, this time of year and being out there is always like a, a major highlight in my year. and it's really making the quarantine a little bit more difficult at the moment. One of the interesting things that um, as I've talked to people about the delay in the, uh, with the Olympic games is that some of them it's, it's, it's going to affect um, their ability to compete just because they're at the tail end of their competition career. They're getting older. How, how long does a, a professional figure skating career go? I mean, is this something you could do into your, into your fifties or is there like a kind of a, ah, you're a little, you're a little too old for this. Well, I mean the oldest Olympic competitor in figure skating that I know of was Humbo Zhao in 2010. And he was 36 when he won, when they won the Olympics there. Um, I mean, I was, 33 and I was one of the oldest competitors in the entire like competition um so you can't you <laughs> I mean if somebody did do it into their 50s like I want some of what they're taking in order to be doing it. no I know you know you're not going to be in the Olympics but but I'm talking about a professional skating career because I mean essentially oh, okay. you've, you've yeah. lost us you've lost a season of 
or a half a season of 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 that. And, and yeah. I'm just curious, like how long that how long that you you can have that career. I mean, really, as long as your body holds out, and as long as you are in demand. So usually, you know, either one or two things happens. You get to a point where it's just too physically demanding and you can't really perform up to a level that you would want to be able to perform at. Or, you know, your, your uh, accomplishments and then your, your time in the spotlight starts to fade and then eventually, you know, your show opportunities kind of dry up and then you will probably, you know, make the decision that, okay, you know, this is, I, I've done this long enough and it's time to move on to the, the next chapter. But you're not near that point right now. It's hard to know. I don't know. <laughs> like in terms of like physical and like my desire, my my want to do it. Like Megan and I, you know, we we got back together to put our show programs together before you know this tour was supposed to happen before COVID nineteen was even in the news. And um, you know, we can still do a, a lot of uh, we can still do a lot of uh, our our tricks and our elements and. Um, you know, I think that Megan and I would love to do it as long as possible. And I think in, in our uh, situation, it'll it'll be more so dependent on, you know, our, our demand and if we keep on getting asked to do shows, you know, each year. Are, are you able to go to the rink right now or is that all closed? No, it's all closed in Canada and, and in Quebec and, you know, me and every other skater here and all of my friends that are still competing. You know, they're just uh, really waiting for the, the ring to open up. And even for me, like, I, you know, I, I just can't wait to get back on the ice, put my skates on and just feel that glide and that wind in my hair and everything that I love about skating. Well, let's talk about, about uh, better times. <laughs> uh, you, 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 I think it was 2014 when you uh, came out publicly. Is that, is that right? Is that the right timing? Yeah, it was December 2014. <laughs> that was six years ago. That's crazy. Um, yeah, and, and you really were the first uh, figure skater to come out at the height of their career. We've, we've had some people come out kind of toward the, the tail end, but you were just getting started. Um, you were um, meaning as a dominant figure in, 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 in figure skating. And I, I'm curious what kind of conversations you had in your head about um, whether it was a good idea, not just as a figure skater and a judge sport, but as the quote unquote, well, and I guess not even quote unquote, you were the man in the relationship, right? In pairs figure skating, <laughs> you're the man. And for the man to come out as gay, I'm just curious, like what conversations you were having in your head about that at the time? I mean, I think it was, it was almost like you're, you're, it kind of followed the same typical coming out thoughts that you would have, like fear, uh, anxiety. Um, but at the same time, like that sort of urge to just want to like let, let go of like a sort of secret that you're carrying so that you can just be yourself. And I mean, you know, and I, I've talked with you about it before, like, Megan and I were in the best season that we ever had. We were like undefeated. We hadn't won our first world title yet, but it was like slowly becoming more and more of a reality. And uh, and the, the reason that we were having that success was because in our skating, 
we had really just stopped caring about what everybody else was thinking. And I think it was just that sort of mechanism and thought that allowed me to feel the same with coming out about my sexuality, where I was like, you know what? I want to tell my story. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And I'm just not going to care what people are going to think or say. But I mean, that didn't prevent me from... uh, worrying about how you know how Megan and I our chemistry would be perceived on the ice and would it affect uh how the judges perceive us and would it affect our marks and you know I I hoped that you know I hoped that it wouldn't and you know looking back I you know I know now that it it didn't and if and if anything it helped me feel you know more free on the ice and I think that even came across in our second mark and our second mark only went up throughout the season. How did Megan feel about it at the time? You know, the most important thing, like, for both of us was that, you know, we did our best and we did what we were capable of and that we executed on the day, you know, from all the hard work that we had put in, you know, heading into each competition. So I think, you know, Megan and I were friends and she's always been super supportive of me, like, just, you know, within our friendship. And I it wasn't even something we talked about very much. She was just like, oh, you know, I saw your article. It's super cool. <laughs> it was very straightforward and simple. Did, did you uh, talk with anyone before doing it? And, and, and if you did, were they encouraging or discouraging? I didn't really talk to anybody. I think that, uh, you know, my, my, I think my parents were like a little surprised. I think I, I warned my parents like maybe the day before the article came out, but I didn't really, I didn't talk to my coaches. I didn't even really talk to Megan. It was like, I, it was something that I wanted to do regardless of what anybody else was going to say. So I just did it. Well, it, it, and the reason I ask, I'm always interested in that part of it because oftentimes when an athlete wants to come out, they'll say, okay, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm ready to do this, story's written. I just need to run it by my coach. And I always tell them, okay, just be ready for your coach to tell you, don't do it. It'll don't do it. <laughs> right? So, so, so I say you can talk to your coach, and, but I'm telling you, you know, you have to be prepared for them to tell you, don't do it. And what are you going to do then? And I mean, I think this, this is a, a situation that's probably faced by every, you know, every, uh, everybody in the LGBT community, community when they are making that decision. Maybe they've already told like some of their closest friends and they're, you know, they're deciding whether they're gonna tell their, their boss or a specific friend, a colleague, or their, their parents, even somebody in their family. And it's, it's a difficult thing to balance and to navigate. It's a difficult decision to balance and navigate. I encourage people all the time to fill the people in around them, like l- let them know that this is happening but if, you know, cause you, you, what, you, oh, it sounds like you didn't tell your parents, but I tell people, <laughs> you better tell your parents cause they might not be very happy. Not that you did it, but that you didn't tell them. And that, that's true. That's true. And, but I mean, they, my parents, like, I just, I think I just have a lot of faith. I put a lot of faith in them and I, I knew that they would be supportive no matter what. And of course they were, you know. Tell me about what it was like in the last Olympics as you and Adam Rippon, Gus Kenworthy were, you were making big headlines as out gay athletes. Uh, 
and 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 from from our, my, my perspective sitting at home uh the three of you were really driving a lot of the stories that were coming out of the games what was it like being in the middle of that as it was going on and were you even aware of it um I mean, I, I didn't become aware of it until after Canada won the gold medal in the team event. And I kind of saw a tweet pop up saying that I was the first out uh, gay male to win a gold medal at a Winter Olympics. And I I was just like, wow, like, I thought that it was just so cool. And I, it made me feel so proud. And I mean, I didn't really get to enjoy or indulge in it too much because I still had my individual event coming up so I just I thought it was really really cool and I think my favorite part of it is just like being able to use my voice to give back and I, I know that you know Adam and Gus probably feel the same and um, you know to be a part of any sort of positive change in you know in my community or even in, in the world it just it feels good it feels cool and it just added another layer to like the entire feeling of my Olympic experience, you know, athletically and, uh, you know, personally what I accomplished, I was so proud. And then being able to use that on an even deeper level made it even that much better. You were part of a, an LGBT event at, at the Olympic games. Was it, was it with pride house? Is that how it came about? Yeah. So pride house was like also kind of, uh, like integrated in and located in <clears throat> Canada house. And uh, Gus came by and kind of took a little tour of the place and we did some interviews and I got to talk to him a bit. And um, I, I just love that, you know, there was a Pride House at the Olympics in Korea. And, um, you know, it was also very welcoming um, for, you know, uh, people that were attending the Olympics to come in and, you know, be a part of it. And, and there was a, it was just a very uh, fun, positive and, uh, and inclusive energy in and around uh, Pride House and Canada House. You were done with your events by the middle of the games, right? Figure skating's in the first week? Yeah, I was done near the beginning actually because the team event was first and out of all of the disciplines in figure skating, the pair skaters finished first. So I was done quite early. What did you do after that? Um, <laughs> well, immediately after the men were done, uh, Patrick and I, with uh, our significant others, uh, Liz and Luis, we went in and we splurged on a hotel room at the Four Seasons in Seoul. And uh, they heard that we were coming and they were, like the service there was just incredible. They had, uh, they had written a nice message like on the window in our room. We got upgraded to like suites and they were just, it was such a, an amazing experience. It really was like, maybe one of the most perfect moments of my life. Having finished the Olympics, had so much success, I couldn't have like hoped for a better ending to my career. And then, you know, having a, a glass of champagne in the big like bathtub above my uh, suite at the Four Seasons, it was really just like <laughs> one of those magical moments. You know, to, to again, to, I think to a lot of us who don't, you know, we look at the, our, our, the competitors as competitors, but you're still, you're, you're just another person. And when you win two Olympic gold medals at uh, a Winter Games, you want to celebrate. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 
and so the celebration was uh, the hotel in the Four Seasons. Did you like go? Did you go out to clubs? Did you go partying? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that one was more. I mean, I got to spend some more time with Luis because back at the village, it was like interview after interview after interview, and then like you would want to go and grab a drink with this person, and then you'd want to go and grab a drink with this person, and I wanted to see my family and. There was just like not a lot of time for just me and him to spend together. And so when we got into that hotel room, it was like, ah, okay, like I just get to, you know, spend time with him, just relax. We spent a ton of time in the spa. We got to watch the, some of the other skating events. Um, you know, we had like amazing food and it was like almost like a decompress before I had to go back to the village. And then, you know, it was uh, from that moment on, it was just a whirlwind of, uh, interviews and press conferences and was very busy. So, so this was a one night escape for you. And then you, uh, as Olympic champion, you had, you had some, you had some business to take care of. Yes, exactly. Okay, everybody hang tight. We'll be right back with Eric Radford. Okay. We're back with Eric. Uh, you mentioned Luis. Uh, you guys have been married for a couple of years now. I, I assume that you're, you're, together now and and uh you you have uh, uh somebody to be with during this time uh yeah well i mean we, we got married just last july so it's been we're coming up on a year um and uh i just have to point out that like our wedding was you know standing on top of the olympic podium and was the most amazing like moment of my life until i got married like our wedding was just amazing but um I definitely, it's, I'm a very happy that uh, we are together in Montreal. We've been living together for, for a while now and to have him as we, as we go through this, this quarantine and like this like wild, crazy time, you know, uh, that everybody's kind of stuck in right now. It's been, it's a huge relief to be able to go through it with him. It's one of the things I feel most blessed about that I have Dan here because I've, you know, talk talk to some of our friends who are single, and this a this is a real struggle. It it is, it is not um, it is not some made up thing. Mental health. It's it's a very real thing, and the need for human interaction and to be, to be stripped of that for a couple of months is so tough. I, I mean, so I just I'm so blessed to have somebody else to living with me um, who I love and care for, and so I imagine that's. That's the same for you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we always check in with our, with our single friends, you know, just, I mean, we check in with a lot of our friends, but I am aware that it can be more difficult for them, you know, but just being at home alone. And I think like, um, you know, for the most part, everybody is still in touch a lot. It's just that we don't get to have like, you know, where everybody, we're all missing our hugs, you know, <laughs> like seeing our friends and just giving them a hug. And I always tell my friends, as soon as this is all over, I'm going to start giving uncomfortably long hugs to make <laughs> up for all the time that I didn't get to. Do you and Luis ever skate together? I mean, do you ever, you're a pairs skater. Um, do you ever like try to skate pairs with him just even <laughs> for fun or, I mean, or is that just not doable? No, it's, it's, I mean, I do, uh, I mean, we've, we've taught some seminars together. And so we've like demonstrated uh, some like skating skills, like pair skating skills together, but I've never like thrown him or <laughs> like lifted him <laughs> above my head or anything like that. 
I don't know. That 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 could be of a lot of interest to, to some people. <laughs> it would be pretty fun, actually. I think that would be pretty fun. Um, so even while you're you're uh, building a professional skating career, you're also building a career in music. How is that going for you? Well, you know what? That's one good thing about being in quarantine. It's it's given me a lot of time at the piano. I have set a goal for myself of releasing. Uh, an album of my music, so I have I've been working on songs specifically specifically for that, and um, I've teamed up with uh, a producer in Toronto, and we have uh, kind of just completed the the first song for for the album, and um, but I'm also kind of uh, I've been experimenting with like electronic music, and it's something else that I I really really like, and I'm I'm finding really resonates with me, so. I have a feeling I may do like a sort of neoclassical, classical album and piano, and then maybe I'm going to do like an electronic album after that. Electronic? Are you talking like EDM or what? What yeah, is electronic? Yeah, like like EDM. And, well, you're, um, you're, going to, you're going to be behind the DJ booth at circuit parties before you know it, Eric. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and you know what? I think I would actually really love it. Like, and um, you know, Luis and I we went to Ibiza and Formentera. Uh, like a couple years ago and he keeps telling me like that's what he wants now he wants a beach house in Ibiza while I can be like a DJ (laughs) (laughs) he and every other person that's ever made any EDM you know we always fantasize about the same things (laughs) Uh, you also uh, scored Randy Gardner's movie correct oh yeah yeah what was that experience like because I I mean it's one thing to just you know Con- concoct music in your head but to 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 have to to use it to um to tell a story that's also being told in <clears throat> pictures I, i've always been fascinated by that so i loved working on that film and you know first of all it's an incredible story and you know the finished product is is amazing and like i went to go and see uh, a showing of it in new york last year and it was like emotional and it was it was just so cool um but what i loved and and you know scoring film is something that i i would like to also uh do with my music and it was my first real job and where um i was watching something and scoring to what was happening on screen rather than you know just having like an idea and having uh not the same sense of direction, you know, like when I, when I write freely, I'm just writing what I, what I want to. Um, And then having the film in front of me and trying to figure out and capture the, um, the emotion, you know, is it going to be bright and bubbly and positive? Is it going to be a bit more emotional, maybe a bit more melancholic and, or creating tension or dissonance or whatever, whatever it is, it was, it was challenging. And, uh, you know, it really was the first time that I was doing it. So um, I just had, I tried to have as much fun with it as possible. It was stressful at some points. And, you know, I'm I'm still, I still assume that I don't know enough about everything. So sometimes I lack the confidence I find to know if I'm doing a good job. But everybody has given me such great feedback. And, you know, it was just a pleasure beginning to finish. And I just hope to be able to do more of it eventually. You mentioned emotion, and, and the score of a film carries the emotion of the film. As you're working on a, a, a piece, 
do you talk to the director about what kind of emotion they're trying to 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 get at here or is it yes. is it clear and obvious yeah and uh working with uh, uh sheridan was was so like just so much fun and she has such a uh like effervescent energy and uh personality and you know it was great you know and i would ask her like i would send her an idea and be like you know is this resonating with you do you think that this fits do we need to change it up and and um yeah we had great communication and it all came together really well uh before i get to the last i always ask people the same two questions at the end of my podcast but before i get there um give me a couple djs or a couple music producers that you you really like now in the in the EDM electronics. <laughs> so one of my favorite composers, his name is Oliver Arnolds, and he's kind of like my hero. And he's he's kind of done what I want to do. He is a neoclassical composer, and he writes incredibly beautiful, um, like classical music for like piano and strings and orchestra. But then he also works with a, a group called Chiasmos that does EDM but he brings his vibe to the EDM. So it's almost like a mixture of like classical and EDM. Like it's a very uh, particular uh, vibe, I guess. And I just, I'm really attracted to it. It resonates with me a lot. And um, so Chiasmos, it's K-I-A-S-M-O-S, if you want to take a listen. And it's something like you can just, I don't know, especially during quarantine, like if you're just sitting at home and you're like, you know what, I think I'm going to have a glass of wine. You just put on Chiasmos and it creates like a nice vibe. I've always had uh, a love of music. When I was a kid, I tried teaching myself piano. And I'll tell you, I, I don't have a lot of regrets in life, but I, I think one of my few regrets is that I did not really dig into piano because right now I would... I'm a I'm a huge fan of of dance music um, and of all kinds of dance music, techno yeah. and house and uh, and everything in between. And and I would love nothing more than to start producing music and and DJing and talking to people like you and Connor Kernick, uh, who is another athlete we've written about who are doing it. I'm like, oh God, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> Uh, all right, so the so the, the last uh, I always ask people the same two questions at the end, and um, the first one, and and feel free to say uh, I have no idea, because that's what some people say. The name of the <laughs> podcast is taken from a, a line in Lord of the Rings. Are you a Lord of the Rings fan at all? Yes. Uh, give me a favorite scene from one of the movies or a favorite character. There's a scene in The Return of the King when I think Gondor is being uh, sieged by like the orcs or by uh, Saruman. And I think it's Pippin is kind of side by side with Gandalf. And Gandalf, there's a very famous line where he talks about what it's like when you die and how you, you go into the West. And there's something about silver something about there's silver it opens on to silver light until it's a very descriptive and it's very beautiful yeah. and they're like waiting there's like a big orc outside the door about to break it down and then pippin says oh that doesn't sound so bad and i don't know there was just there's it's poignant and it's beautiful and i mean when of course when ian mckellen delivers the line it's even that much better 
I so think he. That, I think he that moment always sticks out. I think he mentions White Shores. White one. Shores, yeah, gives way to the, yes. the Grey Havens, and like, and then when they sail into the West at the very end of the whole thing, like that's what it kind of like represents, I think, and and I just find it very beautiful. It, it, it's a great moment because you're right. The the end of the world is nigh. Uh, the, everything's a disaster, and and. And, and, and there's battles and you've been watching it, battle scenes for, I don't know, a half hour. And then there's this yeah. moment of peace. And yeah, it's like, it's like, all gonna be okay no matter what, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great choice. Wow, well done. Um, <laughs> the other one is an Olympian who has inspired you. Could be when you were a kid, could be more recent. Just one Olympian who's inspired and you can't pick Megan. <laughs> um, you know, before the Olympics, um, I was lucky enough to hear Clara Hughes speak. She's an Olympic speed skater and cyclist. She competed and won medals in both Olympics. And it was one of the most inspiring speeches. Uh, she gave one of the most inspiring talks I've ever heard. And um, it's, yeah, if I, it's one of the most inspiring moments of like my life actually is like hearing her speak and uh, definitely like learned a lot by hearing her speak and gave me great perspective. Uh, I, heard, I got to hear her speak before going to my first Olympics and the second one. So definitely heading into that first Olympics, like hearing her made a big difference. Is there anything in particular that you remember her saying or do you just remember um, feeling a sense of inspiration from it? Um, definitely just overall inspiring, like her story, um, how she overcame all of her struggles, um, and I think it was just like hearing her describe like speed skating is such a like straightforward, you know, you're pacing yourself. It's kind of you against yourself and like managing your fatigue and your power and your technique and everything. And she just did such a great job at zeroing in on what the experience was like, what her experience was like when it came to speed skating. and. I was just so like drawn into like everything she was saying and um, I just loved it. And her perspective on where it all fat or where it all, where it all fitted into her life. And yeah, just <laughs> hugely inspiring. Eric, I, I really enjoy talking with you every time you, you, you have, uh, you just have such depth to you. You know, a lot of people, again, we just look at athletes as just, these um, cardboard cutouts who go out there and win and lose. And, and it's just always wonderful talking with you because there's so many different facets to who you are. And I just appreciate you being you and taking that leap six years ago because you have inspired so many people over the years. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. You can follow Eric Radford on Instagram at ericradford85. That is Eric with a C. On Twitter, he's Rad85E. I guess Eric Radford must have been taken. You can also catch Eric on June 11th. We're having a fun Outsports Variety Hour to celebrate what should have been the start of Outsports Pride. We were going to have Outsports Pride in Philadelphia this year, but obviously we've had to move that to virtual Zoom events. Um, so check out Outsports we will have registration info and whatnot. It's going to be a lot of fun. Different people from across the LGBTQ sports landscape coming and performing one of their 
one of their many talents, uh, and we'll have conversation and fun. Uh, otherwise, check out the other Outsports podcasts this week. A lot of great stuff, and we'll be back next week talking more LGBTQ athletes and coaches and people in and around the Olympics. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.